Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out. Is only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a Bunsen burner, and I love film. As Albert Hubbard once said, a friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. Someone who doesn't judge you for finding the Godfather boring. That is a real friend. Wow, bold words from Hubbard there. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Kevin Smith, Jamila Jamil, and even Ped Lambles. But this week is the incredible and incomparable Brene Brown. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you'll get an amazing extra 20 minutes with Brene where she tells a secret. We discuss the greatest opening and closing to films. We do a deep dive on how to cope with the internet, all sorts of stuff. It's brilliant. You also get the whole episode uncut and ad free and as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Your TV mission for this week is to start watching Soulmates on Amazon Prime, the show that Will Bridges and I co-created. The first episode stars Sarah Snook from Succession and Kingsley Benadir from One Night in Miami. It's got Darren Boyd in it from The Personal History of David Copperfield. It's got Steve Oram in it from Ag. It's got Dolly Wells from Black Man in Poets. It's got, I mean, it is a hell of a cast and it is not to be missed. Their performances alone are insanely special and well worth your time. You can also, of course, watch the whole of season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app. Watch that. You will laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel happy. So, Brene Brown. I will be straight up here. I think this is the most nervous I have been about doing an episode. Brene Brown is a professor, lecturer, author, storyteller and podcast host and she is such a hero to me and to all of us in the writer's room of Ted Lasso so I really felt like I was so desperate for this to be a good episode and I tell you what, she more than delivered. She was amazing, she was a delight, she gave me far more time than I was expecting. I feel incredibly grateful and honoured that she made the time for this. It's a real dream episode and I think you're going to love it. Oh, one other thing you need to know before we start is I recorded this with Brene about um, very beginning of January basically before Trump had left office so when we talk about leadership and what not going on at the time in America we are talking about the previous administration I hope that is clear I do think you need to know that for what we are talking about in this episode that is all thank you So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 134 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a researcher, a TED talker, an author a hero, a stand-up comedian, a Netflix specialer, a legend, a storyteller, a future of humanity, the most person I've had on this uh, podcast that people have asked me to say hello to, the one, the only, I can't believe she's here, please welcome to the show, the brilliant Renee Brown! The crowd goes wild! They, They really do. I don't have time to tell you the names 
of all the people that asked me to say hello to you and tell you that they loved you. I don't have time for it. That's not why we're here. But I want you to know if everyone I've ever had on, when I've told people you're doing it, they've gone, holy shit, everyone's lost their shit. Everyone's cried. <laughs> here is a question I would like to ask you, Renee Brown, if I may. Yeah, please. And I really mean this. To, to some people, and I'd include myself in this, you're like Jesus, right? Oh, you're God. not. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, you're not just like some of the people admire, like people, quite a lot of, I'd say millions. You mean a lot more than just one book or one TED talk or one speech. Like, you actually mean a lot. Like, you're a, you're more than just you as a human. You as a sort of icon mean something. And my genuine question is, is that hard? Do you sometimes get overwhelmed by that? Do you sometimes think, I'm not these things? Do you know what I mean? Is it too much pressure, that idea? Um, yeah, I don't know that I've ever thought about it. It's a, that's a weird, interesting question. I don't know. I don't know. I think it, it serves me best by not thinking about it too much. I just, I do my work mm-hmm. and I share my work and I share my struggle with my work. And if that is meaningful for people, I'm super humbled by that and grateful for it, but I don't think about it any other way. I think some of that's true. And I think sometimes people have me up on a pedestal sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I know that is because when they get pissed off or disagree with something I've said, they always lead with, I'm so disappointed in you, which just my knee jerk reaction to that is fuck you. Yeah. Because like, you're not my mom, you know, like you can be, you can disagree with me and you can be pissed or you can be frustrated. But when I get, God, I'm so disappointed in you, your work meant so much to me. I thought so much of you. That's the precarious nature, I think, of pedestals. And so I've never scaled one or tried to get on top of one. I don't want to be on one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't think about it too much because I think it it could become overwhelming because then the good girl in me would start trying to hustle for my worth. Yeah. Well, that totally makes sense. I think it makes it really, really difficult to get anything done if you're in that position. I know. Another thing I would like to briefly discuss with you is... um, my theory is you're also a stand-up comedian because I watched your Netflix special <laughs> and it's got more laughs in an hour than most Netflix specials. And although it's wise and brilliant and beautiful and all of those things, it's fucking funny. And you you know how to fucking sell a joke and a pause. And I wonder if that is a skill you've learned, if that is something you just do and whether you're going to do more stand-up. No, I no. So when I think about the most vulnerable thing in the world, I think stand up comedians. I think that's why I think they're so tortured, um, generally as a, as a group that there is so much vulnerability in that job that I couldn't imagine doing it. I think, I don't know that I'm a stand up comedian, but I am a good storyteller. And I think that's just, you know, fifth generation Texan, come from a long line of bullshitters. So I have a funny family and mm-hmm. we're quick witted and we're, we talk shit a lot. And so I think I come by that naturally. And I also think this is what I do share, I think, with maybe share in common with stand up comedians in some way is that a lot of great stand up to me, and you can correct me. Um, for sure, because you know much more about it than I do. But a lot of great stand-up is about kind of the painful things that we share in common that we've convinced ourselves it's just us. So then when we hear it out loud, it's so funny and shocking. Yes, yes. Um, Carol Burnett said that comedy is tragedy plus time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so I think what I have in common with comedians is that I'm a shame researcher. You know, I study vulnerability. And so I put language to things that everyone has convinced themselves it's just them. And so there is something naturally funny about that. Um, so I think maybe that's, maybe that's it, but probably 40% that 60%, um, inherited bullshit storyteller. That's so interesting. You know, uh, uh, 
I, it took me a long time. I had to talk about doing stand up, and I realized that the reason that when I do stand up, when I do new material, when I'm trying stuff out, it's not me saying every joke isn't me saying, is this funny? Every joke is me saying, am I okay? <laughs> like, am I normal? Yes! Or is this fucking yes! mad? What I'm about to say is this mad? Am I insane for this dark thought I had or thing that I did? It's all the, the things you're ashamed of. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Am I alone? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. The first book I ever wrote was just on women and shame and it was, it's called, I thought it was just me. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Yeah. And that could be the name of a comedy special. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And every time they laugh, it's either them going, I, I fully understand or you're mad, but it's funny and we don't hate you for it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Some of it is like I am laughing at you, not with you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not. But what I'm not doing is booing you off the stage. I'm saying, you, right, no, right. You're okay to share that, but but obviously you are mad. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the two responses. So interesting. What a uh, what a life you've had. Uh, anyway, Wait, before we get into it, before we get into it, can I ask you a question? All right, all right, go on in. Come on, more enthusiasm, please. Yes, please. I would love you to ask me a question. Thank you. How has the Ted Lasso fame affected you? Like what I'm assuming there was a before Ted Lasso and an after Ted Lasso. Yeah. Is that assumption correct? That's, that assumption is is correct, I think. But it, there was also a before the pandemic and after the pandemic. So in terms of being recognized in the street, I've had it when I've gone to the to the shops because I do have quite distinctive eyebrows. So even in a mask, I think people can spot can spot the eyebrows. Yeah, I mean like Everyone I know is in love with Roy Kent. Well, everyone you know has got deep-seated issues. <laughs> that's, I mean, well, that's for sure. Yeah. That's 100% for sure. But I'm just saying that like, when the pandemic is over and we're vaccinated and you're back on the street, mm-hmm. I can't wait. I, I, I want to walk 10 feet behind you and be like, ha <laughs> um, Because it is like really – it's really a phenomenon here. Like mm. every, you know, people will say – yeah, it's you and Beard. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just Brendan Hunt. I mean, people are just like crazy. I'm going to tell you this. When you had you had Jason and Brendan, Brendan, who plays Coach Beard, on your podcast, and in your introduction, you described him as your secret crush, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the podcast and it was brilliant. And you, all three of you were wonderful. And I texted, we're on like a writer's text chain, all the, all the writers on Ted Lasso. And I I wrote to the chain. I said, you've got to listen to this podcast. It's so good. It's so amazing. And I said, and Brene Brown calls Brendan her secret crush. And he didn't even tell us what a classy guy. And then Brendan said, I wish that was true. And showed us his new Twitter bio that said, Brene Brown's secret crush. (laughs) And ergo, why he's my secret crush. (laughs) I was like, he's so classy. Yeah. Well, just well done. And it's it's so fun. And it's so fun to watch you. And, well done. Um, Very kind. Thank you for the great work on it. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all your great work. Is everything all right there? I mean, I know things are insane. No, it's it's really COVID scary. It's We're locked down. I, I go between here. This is my podcast studio in our office, which is completely empty. So we've been shut down since right. February. We won't come back till the end of summer. But I'm in here to, to record the podcast. So I just come in and do that. Things are hard here. Actually, can I ask you one more? I've got so many things to ask you about. I know we've got to talk about films. But I was going over uh, one of your books again, Dare to Lead, which I believe was the last one you published, right? And And in it, there was a thing. Basically, the reason I thought of this, and I would love to know your opinion on it is that in england um the health guy the main health guy who does the reports for the government chris witty he said uh although the vaccines are coming in and people are being vaccinated he basically said something like i wouldn't get your hopes up there'll still be restrictions in the winter and a lot of people were angry about this because they were like that's terrible for people's mental health we all need hope why are you telling us there's going to be another year of this like, how do you know things could change like that so far off? And then I read in your book, I think it's the Stratton, Stratton. Oh, the, the Stockdale, the, the Stockdale, Stockdale paradox. paradox. The, the, the people who died in prisoner of war 
prisoner of war camps were the optimists and this idea of dealing with the reality of your situation and how to cope with that and I just sort of wondered if you would if you had an opinion on that or because I did find that really interesting because I did think the people that were criticizing it I was like yeah I get I get why you're upset but if this is the reality surely we have to like strengthen ourselves to be prepared for it but I also am someone who likes positive thinking believes in optimism you know idealism, all that stuff so do you have any thoughts on that it's not really a question yeah, it's it's hard. I'm with the person who delivered that news. I support that. And the people who said, shut up and give us something hopeful, I mm. support that too. And that's why it's this it's that's why it's the paradox. So Stockdale, who is, as you mentioned, a prisoner of war for many years, tortured, when Jim Collins, who has sold millions of books from good to great, he's a researcher, researches leadership and organizations, um, asked him who died first. He said the optimist. And then Stockdale's quote was we must maintain hope at all times while also confronting the most brutal facts of our reality. And so it's the paradox of straddling the tension of mm. doing both of those. And it's interesting to me because it's also very Churchillian. It's very, you know, think back, you know, to the Blitz and Churchill coming on. And unlike politicians today who bullshit us most of the time, he said, this is grim. This is hard. This is, there's going to be life, you know, mm. your sons and fathers and brothers. Um, but we will fight to the last person is standing because it's the only choice we have. And so I think I, we're not getting that messaging in the U S even from vir- virologists. Right. I mean, we're hoping that the, the vaccine rollout goes better than it's going right now in the U S under a new mm. administration. Um, I'm like, you need to give that shit to like Amazon or something. They can deliver a frying pan to my door via a drone in an hour. Like give that stuff to like somebody who's got an operations center set up. But yeah, but no, I don't know that Amazon is somebody that I'd want to give it to. I don't know that I wouldn't, but, um, but I do think that people, if you look back Mm -hmm. through history and study leadership through history, it has been the leaders who have been honest with us. Um, but also been able to maintain hope and positivity. So I think the message should be, look, we could still be looking at some limitations mm. in the winter, but it is going to be a new day yeah. this year and we'll get some of our normalcy back. And so I think it's it's straddling that tension. Because it's uh, the whole, I've become really obsessed with narrative. I mean, you're a storyteller, you know, the, the importance of narrative and, and for our leaders and how they... they <laughs> I realized so much with, I mean, look, I don't want to talk too much about it, but in England, you know, we have Boris Johnson and it took so long, the sort of, I kept being like, he's not telling the story well. The story isn't being told to us in a way that is clear and makes sense. And what's been happening in America, and I think a lot everywhere is this kind of magical thinking, is this thing of, if we just say what we want it to be, and we all believe it, it'll be fine, <laughs> you know, and because and, and people don't want to hear. This, things are pretty bad and this is tough. So they go, yeah, we'll vote for the, we'll vote for the yes. magical one, the thing that said everything's going to be fine in a minute. And so to, 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 deli- to be a leader who delivers bad news and, and is, is going to be hard, with, you also have to tell that story well to affect people in the right way, right? It's... Yes, you can actually use a hard story told Mm. well to unite people. Fascinating to me, all that. So fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I love, love that you use the term magical thinking. I mean, there is no better. I mean, as someone that's been, you know, sober for going on 25 years, that's such a big, that's such a big term in the rooms, you know, the magical thinking. Um, And it, it was like this Christmas where people were like, we understand there's, you know, there's some pandemic stuff, but it's, but Christmas, it's Christmas. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. What? So the twinkle lights is yeah, going to so warn San- off Santa will the protect virus? us for one day. For one day, Santa will stop the virus and we can all be together. Do you know that every eight minutes, someone in California is dying of COVID today? Horrific. Like, yeah, it's just the magical thinking. And also, and I don't know about the UK, but mm. in the US... Another word that comes out of the rooms, um, the 12-step rooms, is the level of magic, not just magical thinking, but of terminal uniqueness. Right. 
Like we, the exceptionalism. Yeah, yes, yes. Like we're Americans. We don't get sick. We don't miss yeah. work. We don't, you know, no, sir. We don't. It's our mouth is free. We're free to go to Costco to buy big cheddar cheese yeah. balls. Like, like. It's the, the it's and I, I I'm interested because you are you know more than me about history and stuff, but the this thing that seems to be of not just magical thinking, but we're the exception, we're special, we cannot and the the sort of I guess the word is entitlement, entitled like well I'm entitled yes. to do what I like because I'm special and impatient. And someone a friend of mine said said to me like think about like world war 2 we had the blitz here like that was 4 years and you think the 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 amount of time we've so far been in lockdown and and in quarantine or whatever we have been in here in england it's like 9 months 4 years of consistent you know stress anxiety trauma but they got through it I, and i don't know i i wonder if like in world war ii if you were around if people would still be going well i can walk out when there's bombing going on because i'm you know magical thinking and i'm special and i'm bored so i'll go out do you know what i mean i, I don't know if that's a newer thing or if people have always been like this and this is just history repeating itself i don't know to be really honest with you brett i think it has a ton to do with leadership yeah and narrative. I mean, look, we are hardwired neurobiologically for story. Yeah. You know this because of what you do every day for a living. We are wired for story. We are wired to believe what we hear. Our brain takes that narrative pattern of first act, second mm. act, third act, and it's truth for us. And so in the U.S., when we've got a leader who pulls off his mask or tells us to squirt ourselves yeah. with Windex or you know tells us you know we're too strong to get this – our better angels give over to our worst yeah. instincts and we've got a narrative to back us up. And so this is to me, as someone who studied leadership for the past decade, to me, this is just proof positive that the difference between a good and bad leader is life mm. and death in a lot of situations where we don't yeah. think it will be. My God. And it, and again, I, this is newer to me that I, that, or at least I'm so much more clear on it that it's it's narrative, it's storytelling, and it's presentation. It's the thing. Like sometimes I look at um, Boris Johnson and his associates uh, when they're in like, and they are so like posh and like the 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 narrative that most people have that is they're not us they're they're posh and they don't care about us and they're different from us is backed up by the presentation of what you know what I mean we go yes well it also looks and sounds like that too you know you have there's no one there that, yes. that looks or sounds like us that seems to they seem to be existing in a different world so it's the whole the whole package <laughs> narrative storytelling presentation yeah I mean it is it's narrative storytelling presentation, and I think the thing about the UK, which we have it to hear to some degree, but just how you can identify class mm -hmm. and education yeah. by speech patterns, much more so in the in the UK yeah. than here. You know, people will say, "Oh man, she sounds like she's from <laughs> Texas." So I'm gonna rank her, I'm gonna rank her down a little bit on the intellect scale, but. Um, but I, I do think um, what a what a really convenient way to maintain yeah. power. Like, hello. Yeah. I should I mean if we all pulled it out of the bag, we could fake it. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Hello. I uh, now work for the British government and we are going to take over and everything is going to be absolutely fine. <laughs> Oh my God, you're kidding. <laughs> that was really good. I, I think, I don't think we can do that as well. Do you want to try? Yeah. What Am I supposed to sound like a, a posh British person or a posh American? Yeah, I'd like you to sound like uh, American aristocracy. That's called British people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't have, we don't have that. We, we, we like, we, we sunk some tea and fought y'all off for that. Yeah. Okay. So what's what's the posh? What's posh in America? Connecticut is that posh? I don't know. See, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's really it's definitely not the South and not Texas. Right. It's probably 
it could be actually the absence of linguistic affect. It could be the absence of an identifier within your speech. So where it's the presence of one Mm -hmm. for you, for (laughs) y'all, for us, it would be the absence of one so that I couldn't tell where you're from. Uh, So a a sort of blank, uh, I don't even, can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Blank accent. Well, I, sometimes people have a hard time telling where I'm from until I say y'all, or I say something like around the bend, or you can't swing a cat without hitting a Republican around here. Like if I say like a use, like a colloquialism or something, I would just say, this is ABC News and I'm Brene Brown. I love it. And we're going to be okay. We are. Yeah. We are going to be okay because you said it. Yeah, we are. Because Santa is coming. Right. So you better watch out. <laughs> you better not cry. You better not cry. Yeah. <laughs> you better not pat. I'm telling you why. Yeah. We could run this world. <laughs> okay. That is very impressive. Oh, it's like a new Beyonce song. Like, who runs the world? Posh. Posh speakers. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Okay. I mean, I could talk your ear off. Oh, me too. The, the, the thing is... Um, Oh, there's one more question. Maybe we'll start and we'll see how we get on. We Maybe we can go off on tangents. Okay. There's something I forgot to tell you at the beginning. And I should have told you probably on, e- I probably should have said it on email or mm-hmm. when we organized it. I feel bad that I'm leaving it till now because it's kind of being sprung on you. But um, yeah. I'm easy. Go. Uh, less rumble, I suppose. Um, yeah. You've died. You're dead. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. How did you die? Interesting. On vacation. Ooh, lovely. Where were you? In the UK, 93 years old. Nice. Yes. Won an excellent tennis match. 6-3-6-3. At Wimbledon? Were you playing professionally at Wimbledon? No, just on vacation with some friends. Singles, though. Um, Won the tennis match. Went home, took a nap. Mm Mm-hmm. After a nice shower, and never woke up. Oh, you just your heart just exploded in your sleep. It didn't explode. It just Stop. went to sleep. That's very nice. Yes, but but the death is ruled suspicious because how does a ninety-three-year-old win a tennis match and then just die in her sleep? Oh, good questions. I was going to ask. Yes, yes. So they have to call in all of the British detectives from the shows that I'm obsessed with watching to solve the mystery. First on is Vera Stanhope. Vera. Then inspect. Yeah. yeah, Inspector Lewis helps Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. And so they open an inquiry. This is like a detectives assemble, British detectives assemble. It is. It's like Avengers assemble, but it's the British detectives. Yeah. And they just lead an inquiry Mm -hmm. into my death, but it turns out that everything is fine. You just died. I just died. Listen, I don't, I don't not believe you, you'll be playing tennis at 93. So I think it's suspicious these detectives were all over it. I think maybe something else is afoot. Very interesting. Why 93? My oldest will be 60. I'll know my grandkids and maybe even their kids, but definitely my grandkids. I don't want to go on much longer than that. That's enough is enough. Yeah. You've made your point. By 93. I made my point. Yeah. And the thing that's really important for this narrative is that I want to be healthy and active until the minute I go. So that's because that's why I won the tennis match. Where in the UK were you? It's very confusing because I don't think there are moors in London, right? Not that, not that I'm aware of. You were in Yorkshire. I, I don't know. Where does Vera Stanhope? She says I a lot. For yes. Oh, she's she's uh, Newcastle, isn't she? I don't know. She's she's somewhere. There are a lot of moors where a lot of people get killed, and um, it's like lonely and foggy. Christ, I can't believe you picked the Yorkshire moors. Okay. Well, I just need to get close to Vera Stanhope because she is like, one day I'm going to give myself permission to just be as shitty as she can be to people. Sometimes she's so grumpy. I love it. I'm just going to get a hat like that and a coat. And I'm going to just be like that. It's a lovely aim. Thanks. Do you worry about death? Do you think about it a lot? I obsessively worried about being left 
I don't worry about leaving as much. I feel the same. I'm much more, yeah. much more worried about other people dying. Yes. Yeah. My children. Here's a question for you. I guess the question is, how important to you is legacy? As in, you've done a lot already. You've done extraordinary stuff already. If you had to stop now, would you be like, okay, that was cool. I, I did my bit. Or do you want to just keep making, keep making, keep improving, keep? I mean, if I stop now, well, let's go back to legacy. Uh, I think legacy is really a double-edged sword because it's based on the premise that I can control what people think. And so I'm just here to serve the work while I'm here. If it goes with me, it goes with me. If it stays on and it makes a difference, that would be great. I, I tried to do that once because I heard a lot of people are doing that and you're supposed to do it. Like, what's your legacy? Right. Um, but I'm more worried about what I'm doing now while I'm here. Mm. And I can't control what people think now. And I'm a pretty persuasive person, so I have zero chance of doing that when I'm dead. So I, I don't worry about the legacy. Okay. I, I like that. So yeah. um, mm. do you think there's uh, an afterlife? Do I think there's an afterlife? Mm. Yes. Can you please tell I me about it? I think it's like, what is the movie with Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks? Oh, Defending Your Life? Yes. I hope it's like that. Actually, I have another theory based on another movie. So maybe maybe it's a combination of defending your life. And did you ever see the movie Powder? Yeah. Now, I think this is real. I don't know about the defending your life part because it's like that seems like Hollywood meets theology in some way. But in Powder, there's a scene where this young boy who has these really incredible powers touches a hunter and touches the deer he just shot. And for that moment, the hunter can feel the pain and fear and trauma that he caused this deer. Mm. So I believe in an afterlife where you are expected to feel the pain that you caused others. Wow. And yeah. do you do you also get to feel the joy you brought others? Or is Absolutely, it, 100%. So it's what it, all, all that you put out, you receive back. Yeah. I like that very much. I think do that's you? interesting. Well, it's scary. It's like extreme empathy, isn't it? That's like <laughs> enforced empathy. It's like, here's what, here's what that felt like. Yeah, I think so. Because I think I interviewed this guy who was a grief specialist, David Kessler, on the podcast. And he said mm-hmm. something that has just fucking paralyzed me. I was asking him why judgment is such a dangerous thing. And he said, judgment always demands punishment, punishment of yourself or someone else. Mm. So when we judge people, we eventually punish them in some way or punish ourselves. And I was like, that that's actually true. So if my husband does something that I feel judgy about, I may punish him an hour later with a shitty kind of passive aggressive thing or something, or I judge myself and I punish myself. And so I'm hoping that my extreme empathy heaven is not because I feel so judgy towards people, but it could be. I'll investigate further. Okay. Well, listen, I've got news for you. There's a heaven. It's actually pretty nice. It's quite nice. Is it? Yeah, I think you'd like it. There's not much, there's not much punishing going on. And even though you might have done some bad things in your life, you, you got away with it. It's fine. <laughs> They're fine. Wait, wait, does everybody get away with it? You do. I'm in charge. You do. Not okay. everyone. Thank you. Okay. you. You've done enough good. It's balanced out. But there's your favorite things there. What's your, what's your favorite thing? No, my family. Your family. They're all there. Carbs. Carbs are there. You, you, you're basically, the chairs are made of potatoes and bread. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It's great. Uh, you, okay. your, your bed is a cake. It's it's just great. It's An great. apple fritter. Mm, okay. You bet. But in this heaven, they're obsessed with films. They're obsessed with them. And they want to know about your life, but through the medium of film. And the okay. first thing that they ask you is, what is the first film that you remember seeing Brene Brown? The hills are alive with the sound of music. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> what a first film. The sound of music. Bloody hell. Yes. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how, how much that film meant to me. Please. Tell me everything. When I got married. 
mm-hmm. I walk down the aisle to how do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Do you know how old you were, roughly? Five, six. But you've seen it a million times since, I'm assuming. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Every year, maybe. I mean, it's good. That is a good piece of work. I mean, if you're going to say something disparaging about The Sound of Music. A hundred, I would never, honestly, I would never would. I mean, just the music. Yeah. High on a hill was a lonely goat. Oh, lady, oh, lady, oh, lady. <laughs> she yodeled back to the lonely goat. Oh, lady, oh, lady, oh, loo. Yeah. You can keep going. I will be very happy. <laughs> uh, great, great, great opener. Uh, what is the film that scared you the most? Now, you do a lot of uh, vulnerability work, which is scary. Do you like being scared in the horror way, in the fear for your life way? Never, never seen a horror movie. Never would see a horror movie. Never in my life. I see very few things that are rated R unless it's rated R for nudity and sex, which I will see. But anything violent, I don't see. I have, I came from very, very, very strict parents Mm -hmm. around film and television. And I didn't see my first PG movie until I was 14 or 15. Um, and it was, yeah, it was my grandma, my mima in San Antonio, Texas took me to go see Cannonball Run with Burt Reynolds. Um, yeah, it's when I learned the expression because I didn't know what it meant because she kept saying, Burt Reynolds can leave his boots under my bed anytime. And I didn't know <laughs> what that meant. Um, but then I got older and I realized what that meant. But um, I have never seen a horror film. I would never see a horror film ever, period. Fascinating. But is there a film that scared you that wasn't a horror film? Yes. Well, no. The Exorcist, which I didn't see. Right. I didn't see it, but it scared me the most. It still scares me because I it must have come out when I was in junior high or high school or something. Mm-hmm. But I remember people – I remember just the rumors. Remember when you're young and the rumors like if you try acid, you'll walk through plate glass window or if yeah. you know, all that stuff. And the rumors was like if you watch this – You'll kill your parents while they're sleeping. Like, and, and I believed it because I was never allowed to watch anything on television. Mm. So I, I can't remember that we're in a movie when I'm watching things. So I've never seen one, but The Exorcist still, like, if Charlie, my 15-year-old or my 21-year-old was like, hey, I saw that old movie. I was like, don't watch it. <laughs> you'll kill me. Don't, you'll kill me. You'll kill other people. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting that, that you'll never watch a horror Never, ever, never. You know, there's a there's a lot of um, research on it being good for you, on it being good for your for your brain. I call bullshit. <laughs> oh, listen, I, I figure you know more than I do. No, I don't know anything about it, but I'm just going to say that. <laughs> what about roller coasters? Is that a no? No, I love roller coasters. I think I'm too serious of a person to watch something scary. Like, if I were going to watch a scare, here's an interesting thing that you can learn mm-hmm. about me in heaven. If I were going to force myself to watch one, I would watch Get Out. And that would be an excellent choice. Thank you. I I highly recommend it. You'll love it. But I will not. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What's the film that made you cry the most? It's a two-way tie. Okay. Steel Magnolias and The Color Purple. Oof. That's a killer double bill, that is. Yeah. No one's getting up after that. Not a dry eye in the house. Mm-mm. No, sir. That's, I mean, I couldn't handle that. No. The way you feel about um, horror films is is how I feel about that double bill. But that, that would be too much for really? me. Really? It would be too much. Steel Magnolia is followed by Color Purple. I couldn't take it. I'm too, I'm too soft. <laughs> I'd be a wreck. You've seen Steel Magnolias? Yeah. Never again. Did you cry? Yes, of course I did. Okay. I cry in films all the time. It's the only place I do cry. It's terrible. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the film that people don't really like? It's not considered a classic. Most critics didn't like it, but you love it unconditionally. I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> There's no, no so shame here. That, I'm afraid that you'll stream it into my heaven room. Um, okay. on, when I'm sitting on my apple fritter couch on my potato ottoman that you'll just pipe this into my room nonstop. But I'm going to tell you the movie that I loved. Yeah. 
And I don't know whether critics liked it or not, but I, I think it was ironically bad. I'm not sure, but I thought it was really funny and great. Was um, Eurovision Song Contest? Oh, that is a fine choice. Like people just really hated it, but <laughs> let me tell you, I think the people that hated it in the United States mm-hmm. were people who don't travel to Europe. Um, who like Will Ferrell movies or like Talladega Nights or something. But I've been in Europe when that stuff is on television and it is not ironic. Like it is, that is, that, that is the real deal. It's real. Yes. And it, I thought it was so funny and I thought Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams were so good in it. And like the funniest thing I thought was he hated elves, but he's (laughs) elf. That's such a good yeah. shout. You're right, because yeah. I think if you don't know that Eurovision is deadly serious here, you would think, what is this nonsense? But it's real. Well, no, like my, my son watched it and he's the biggest Will Ferrell fan in the whole world. And he knows that by and large, I don't love Will Ferrell movies. I like right. Will Ferrell, but I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't like physical comedy or slapstick or like, I don't like dumb humor kind of. And he was like, there's no show that has music like this and acts like this. I'm like, oh, oh, but, but there, there is. is. <laughs> and for yeah. some people, it's the most important night of the year. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. For some people, it's bigger than Christmas. I mean, the pandemic, we can handle the pandemic, but not on Eurovision night. Everyone's got to be together. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Props. Respect. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, What's the film... That you used to love, you loved it, uh, but you've watched it recently and for some reason you don't love it anymore. And that might be because if you've, you've changed or the world's changed or the memory of the film has. This is a devastating one for me, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie 27 times. I had to babysit all the time and do yard work in order to pay for the ticket. Saw it 27 times, know every song by heart and every, every line by heart, Grease. And absolutely have no tolerance for it today and would not even let my kids watch it. Because of its horrific sexual politics? Yeah. Well, first of all, first of all, I was a serious smoker and I started smoking the week I saw Grease in eighth grade. Wow. Like that's when I started smoking. Yeah. Because the end of the show is like not the leather jacket and the poodle skirt, but the leather outfit and the cigarette. That's Mm -hmm. the moral of the story. The moral of the story is... The slutty fun people win, which is actually the moral of the real world too. But yeah, so yeah, it's factually correct. But yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's factually correct. Yeah. So I started smoking, and that was a really hard thing to quit. So I partially blame Greece for smoking, mm-hmm. and just I had no idea what those lyrics meant, but I'm sure they're encoded in my DNA. Like, did she put up a fight? Yeah, like, did she put up a fight? Is a mad lyric that everyone sings at karaoke. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then the Grease Lightning song, I think it says she's a real P-U-S-S-Y wagon. Like, yeah. Like, I just, mm -mm. I just can't do it anymore. I have talked about this before, but not not with you and not for a long time. But at the end of Grease, there are two things that that I'm always fascinated by is what people forget is he turns up dressed like her yeah she turns up dressed like she turns up in in leathers and he turns up in in preppy 
good boy outfits. Right. And they look at each other and there's no conversation. Like she doesn't say, he doesn't say, oh, no, well, I was going to dress like like your kind of vibe. We could do that. It's just assumed. No, <laughs> no chat. No, yeah. Oh, we're going back to what I was. Okay, cool. And then the other the other thing is, of course, the, I'm sure you know this, there's a thing about about reading how you read films and stories and the theme is always in the ending the beginning is in the ending every everything that the film was about is in the ending which means that Greece was about a car that flies and no one mentioned it all the way through the film you don't realize you're watching a flying car film where did that come from but not only not only you're you're okay so so that I didn't know that theory till you just mentioned it that mm-hmm. theory holds up because he also grabs her boob in the end Remember, he reaches around. So it's actually a sexual assault flying vehicle film. <laughs> yeah. It's a sexual assault flying vehicle film. Yeah. yeah. So it should have been like in a world where cars fly and men have no respect for women's bodies. And sexual assault has catchy lyrics. That yes. Rydell High. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it should have been. Yeah. yeah. I'm not for it. Okay. Great shout but I think it actually changed. I think it actually, yeah. Do you think now that to hear you say that he showed up in the preppy clothes and she showed up in the leather, I think they're riffing off like gift of the Magi, right? Like where I don't know this, you know, the gift of the Magi, like, I don't know where it's, I don't know who wrote it. I'm not going to say, because I'm sure it was like an old dead British person and it's important, but, um, (laughs) it's like an old story from like, I don't know. I'm not even going to say the decade, either the 18 or 1900s. The but it's the story of, yeah, like she, like, I think it is like poor London and she cuts her hair, her long, beautiful hair mm-hmm. to buy a chain for this guy, her, her new husband's stopwatch or little pocket watch. And he sells his pocket watch to buy her a barrette for her long, beautiful hair. So then like on Christmas morning, bummer. I did not know that. This flying vehicle sexual assault film. It's got so yeah. many more layers than we we give it credit, I suppose. There's a lot going on. Yeah, God, but God, the music was really good. The music was really good, but this is why, and I stand by it, Grease 2 is the better film because Grease 2 has a feminist agenda. You know, she's she she's the one in charge. Uh, it is better, yeah. It's a better film. It's just better. There's There's no flying cars. Yeah. But the bike does. It's a big jumping car, a uh, bike. It doesn't technically fly. God, Greece more was grounded. so Greece was really it shaped a lot of people my age, yeah. which explains why a lot of bad shit's still going down Greece. in this country. Greece, yeah. you mother. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what okay. what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing the film that will always make it special to you. So I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I was 21 or 22. My boyfriend that I broke up with is now my husband. Uh. Yes. And I had never gone to the movies by myself. And this really kind of weird old mall in San Antonio, Texas called Wonderland Mall somehow got started getting all the foreign films and the indie films and – I went by myself for the first time to see a movie, my first kind of subtitled movie in an art house theater. It was called Babette's Feast. Beautiful film, Danish Mm -hmm. subtitles. And it was like a new day. Like I realized, well, you don't have to have a boy to go to the movies. You don't have to have a boy to go out to dinner. And I still enjoy going to a film by myself every now and then. It's, It's my favorite way to do it. It's kind of my favorite way to do it. I do it at home more because when I go by myself, people sometimes can recognize me and then there's no one. I got no buffer. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Hey, Roy Kent, your days of going to the theater by yourself are numbered. Oh, no. Yeah, because you got no buffer. Then you got an empty seat next to you. Like sometimes I go (laughs) – I'll tell you. You're the the best person to tell you. Sometimes I go to the cinema on my own just so I can have a cry because it's in the dark. We're on our own. That's it. (laughs) I went to see I went to see Saving Mr. Banks. I was such a wreck that I had to sit. I had a hoodie on and I pulled the entire thing over my head, waited to the credits. I was still a wreck. People were clearing up popcorn around me. I was this sort of sobbing man of clothes. I mean, 
if people recognize me, I'm uh, I'm finished. Yeah, you have to watch at home because they will, and then they'll be like, you know, Brett Goldstein crying by himself in theater. <laughs> On Snapchat. You believe that shit's going to happen for sure. And I just have to say for that movie, that movie was dark and hard. Mm. Saving Mr. That, Banks. That's it. That's my answer to the film that made me cry the most, I think. Really? That, mm-hmm. that tells me so much. Mm. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. You can put that on the list. I will. What, can I just ask, what was the gap between 22 years old breaking up with the boyfriend and getting back together and getting married, how many years gap? Or was it straight after that cinema trip? <laughs> no, no, no. We dated off and on for six more years and then been, been married for 25. So we've been together for over 30 years. Yeah. I love it. He's amazing. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, what is the film that you most relate to? There are a lot of them, but the one that I just recently watched, which I was, that I just thought was so well done and so funny and so good. And that, uh, had a character that I really thought, oh my God, was Beanie Feldstein in Booksmart. Yes. What a great shout. Great movie. Great movie. Fantastic I'm a, movie. You know why? I'm a, I'm a sufferer. And so, you know, like when she's in that bathroom and she's given up everything in high school to make these perfect grades. And then she finds out like the stoner's going to his school of choice. And then, you know, the girl who slept with everyone is going to her Ivy League. And she's like, it, it was just so I thought it, I just thought it was so awkward and cringy and funny. It's a really good film. Really good. Um, Renee, what's the um, objectively the greatest film of all time. It might not be your favorite. We're talking objectively. We're talking, what's the pinnacle of cinema? I don't have that lens, so I can only tell you what is the pinnacle of emotional granularity and reality. I mean, just, and it's got to be the color purple. I'll take it. Sweeping, epic, hero's journey, hard, love. I don't know. I think it's everything. Brene Brown, what's the sexiest film you've ever seen? I had a hard time with that one because, you know, if you ask me what the sexiest thing on television I've ever seen is, that would be easy. I would say Sally Rooney's Normal People. Good Did you see it? Yeah. Every middle-aged woman in the world was like, fuck that. I'm buying a scarf and moving to Ireland. Um, <laughs> I can tell you for sure. Um, really, like middle-aged women in the United States were like um, – just the looks. I mean, it was so well acted and so well written, but in terms of films, I would have to say from here to eternity. Okay. The 1950s film, just because I think there's nothing left really to the imagination. And so Mm -hmm. once you get kind of pornish, Mm -hmm. I don't know how sexy that really is. It just, yeah. So I think from here to eternity. It's a lovely answer. Uh, I always think about from its eternity. It's a lovely scene of them kissing in the sea. And rolling around and I always worry about the sand in their pants. <laughs> I always worry about that. I'm always like, this is lovely, but you've got sand. Right in hard places. In hard places. I don't know how this is going to logistically work when we cut away, but I hope they're okay. Okay. So, you know, I hate sand. I didn't know that. Do you, do you, do you hate sand? No, I, I love sand, but I wouldn't want it in my, um, in my bits. Why do you hate sand? Oh, I just think, oh yeah, that's why when I was thinking vacation and we could beach house or lake house, I'm like lake house, just sand really? is just, yeah, they track it in, it gets places like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't like it. Okay. Yeah. What is the <laughs> film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? Three-way tie. Oof. This was really hard. I tried to limit it and, 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 and you, oh my God. You can tell me what these things have in common because you're like a film person. Okay, you yeah, ready? Go on. Yep. Love this. These are films that if I catch them on TV, I won't turn them off. Mm-hmm. I will watch them a thousand times and laugh and cry in all the same places. Elf. Yep. Brilliant. Something's Gotta Give. Okay. Black Panther. I believe in you. I believe you can do a thematic analysis on these three films. They're, all three of them are about navigating not just a new place, but a new part of your life. That's true. Elf is moving from the North Pole to the world, to New York, and he's navigating 
the world and being an adult and being a person. And Black Panther comes from a set society where rules exist and this is the world. And he moves into the rest of the world and discovers the complications and paradoxes of that life. And some something's got to give, although it doesn't move geographically. It's about a different age and new relationships and starting to discover at this age a whole new world. That's what you're into. I'm a suck. You know what? I am a sucker for the hero's journey. And would you argue all three are well acted? Oh yeah, yeah, they're all amazing, and they're also three really great films with three amazing stars in five. And six. location means a lot to me. And my three favorite places, maybe in the world, are New York at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Anything that looks like Diane Keaton's kitchen and house, and something's got to give. And Wakanda. And Wakanda. <laughs> I thought the only problem with something's got to give is there is a lot of sand in that film. There is a lot of sand in that film. Mm. You cannot have a house like that on the sand. Mm-mm. No, that's where that film is a total fantasy. Um, Renee Brown, we don't like to be negative, but we'll do it fairly quickly. What's the worst film you've ever seen? I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some clues, and then I'll have you guess it. It was offensive then. And absolutely bullshit now. I don't like slapstick humor. And it's from the 80s. Police Academy? Oh, my God. You are so close. That is so impressive. <laughs> I will, I, I'm going to tell you the answer just because you're so close. Airplane. Okay. Oh, is it? Interesting. So, so many people love it on this, uh, on their funniest film, Airplane. But if you don't like slapstick, you're not, you're not going to enjoy that for sure. Oh my God. I, oh, wow. No. Like what is, what is a word that's different than dislike? Hate. I try not to hate. What's a word that's stronger than dislike, but not hate. Like, like what is the word that where you want to go like this? Disconnect. I'm repelled. Repelled Repelled by airplane. I'm repelled by anything in that genre. Interesting. Would you put Caddyshack in that genre? Cause I do think that was, I thought it was funny then it's terrible now, but it's Um, racist. It's white. I think airplanes are very specific. It's very extreme. It's all like a hundred jokes a minute, very silly slapstick visual jokes. Like that's more naked gun, those yeah. sort of things. Wow. You hate this. Hate them. Repelled. Interesting. That's uh, why unusual. Well, it's interesting because it's unusual. I think I've not heard a lot of hate for those films. Genuinely. It's not hate. We, we, stop. Oh, we, we, we haven't had, haven't heard a lot of repellation <laughs> for those films. <laughs> Yes, it's almost like it's almost to the point where not only do I not want to watch them, I'm upset with you if you've enjoyed them. Maybe it's how I feel about like puns. <gasps> I'm re- repelled, sickened by puns. <laughs> sickened. You don't like puns? I, I, they make me physically like they make me antsy. Okay, wait. Why? I'm gonna I'm gonna write down my answer. Look, I'm gonna write down my answer. Then I'm gonna set down my pen. And then I'm going to show the answer. I'm going to write it right here. The see this magic pen thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I've written down why I think you might hate them. It, it's fucking, I, I mean, I think it's partly to do with hi, hi, historical circumstances where they've occurred <laughs> in my life. And I think it's that they're fucking lame and they're not, I don't know. I just, they, I hate, I, I, what I find fascinating about them is people who do like them, no one laughs when people do puns. They go, oh, yeah. <laughs> people, when people do puns, even really good puns, they go, very clever. No one's laughing. How is that comedy? No one's laughing at puns. They, they go, they're either annoyed, but they either get groan or they go, very clever. <laughs> That's shit. I don't want that. Lazy. Lazy. I thought maybe you'd think they were lazy. Like, if you're going to be funny, then be funny. Yes. If you're going to be clever, then be clever. But don't be, like, lazy, funny, clever, because that's a pun. I like a pun. I love a pun. But maybe what I think about Airplane and what what else did you say was in that that group? Uh, Naked Gun. Oh, God, Jesus, I hate that show. I mean, I really, I have to tell you, I have a physical reaction to it. That's funny. It's not funny. It's not right. for smart people. It's lazy, funny. It's like comedians who have to stand. I don't like stand up 
comedians who hurt people in their routines. To me, that means you're not funny enough to do something without bullying people. Like, I mean, I mean, take on some topics and take on a person in a funny way, but like, you got to punch up. Yeah. If you have to like fillet someone. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'm hundred percent against is puns. That's it. That's why. <laughs> anything, you, anything. Are, you are pun prejudice. <laughs> Properly pun prejudice. Because it's, just what? Just watch people do puns and see the reaction. I don't want people to go when I say something. Very clever, awful, <laughs> what an awful reaction. <laughs> oh my god! <sighs> you know think, a lot about me now here in heaven. Yeah, right. Pretty. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, then the opposite end of the scale. Mm-hmm. What's the funniest film you've ever seen? Oh, man. Elf. Elf. Love it. I love Elf. Yeah. I love Wonderful Elf. Wonderful choice. It's so much um, vulnerability. Yeah. It's really beautiful, that film. It's beautiful. I mean, like, Dad, I love you. Like, I love when he first says Santa's here. I love it. I love him. Oh, my God. It, the whole thing is just funny. Renee Brown, I cannot thank you enough. You have been incredible. However... When you were 93 and you were visiting the Yorkshire Moors on your holidays, as you do, as most Texans do, let's go to the Yorkshire Moors and play tennis. You went to tennis on the Yorkshire singles, by the way. You played a very good game. You won. And you went back to, to your hotel and you went to bed and you went to sleep and your heart stopped and you died. And then I didn't think anything of it, but Vera, a call went out. British detectives assemble and Vera <laughs> Lewis, Miss Marple, she showed up. Yeah. Inspector Morse, he was knocking about. He he, yeah. he he comes over. Everyone's they're all going, There's been a murder and I'm like, Is there? She was ninety three, she just went to bed. I don't I think I don't think there was a murder and they go, Yeah, yeah, no, I think there was a murder and they start making all sorts of fuss. And then in the end Jessica Fletcher gets flown in and she says, uh, yeah, she was, she just died in her sleep and you will need to get out of here. And it turns out they were all just Brene Brown fans and they just wanted to be near you. And it's like, oh my God, that's outrageous. Anyway, I've showed up with a coffin, gonna, gonna pack you up, but they've left you for so long. You've now melded with the bed. I'm having to scoop up extra stuff just to get you into the coffin, but there's sheets, there's more stuff than I was planning and so the whole thing is absolutely jam-packed there's only enough room in this coffin for me to slide one dvd into the side with you and you will take it across to the other side and on the other side it's movie night every night and one night it's your movie night what film are you showing the people in heaven when it's your movie night Brene Brown one if you love me you better ship my body back to Texas because I will curse you the rest of the days of your life if I don't get back to Texas. Your, Two, your body will go there. Yes. Thank you. Family home movies. Mm. Family home movies. You're talking Start- your family home movies. Yes. Remember your family are also there. That's great. Heaven. We'll watch them together. It's <laughs> torture for my 15 year old son. Yeah. <laughs> on my potato bed and my apple crisp ottoman. Oh yeah. Family home movies. What? I mean, I never allow a loophole, but that is clever. <laughs> that is clever like a clever like a pun. That is a clever pun you've done there. <laughs> that is well, okay. That's the film you're taking with you. I hope you've got there's gonna be a QA after your film, your family home movies and stuff. Oh, you're gonna have a great time. Oh my god, can you imagine the Q and A? I mean, because it starts with my delivery of my oldest and goes all the way through, like their her college graduation. Like this is a long ass movie. So long. This is an epic. The people in heaven are like, has anyone got the Godfather? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's a sweeping epic, and I get to watch all those move, all those moments, the first words they spoke. Yeah, their school plays, my Mm. wedding. That's lovely. But hey, Brown, I cannot, you're just so grateful that you did this. It's, I'm sure you do not need me to help plug anything, but just in case, is there anything you would like people to read, look out for, watch for in the future, listen to? 
really, I think the things that I'm doing right now that I'm really having fun doing is I've got the two podcasts on Spotify. Mm-hmm. I've got um, Dare to Lead and I've got Unlocking Us and that's really fun. But other than that, no, just come visit me, Brene Brown, everywhere. What's it? I mean, listen, I, I don't want to bore you. I'm incredibly grateful for your time. It means a lot. And I've loved this. Thank you very much. And have a lovely death. Good day. Thank you. So that was episode 134. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Brene and hear more of what she has to say about life, the universe and everything. Head to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. And you don't have to write about the show. Instead of writing about the show, write about the film that means the most to you and why. I always read them. It's really nice. Have a look. Loads of people have told really amazing stories on there. It also helps the numbers, and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Brene for giving me her time to do this and for being amazing. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Remember to watch Soulmates and Ted Lasso and all have a lovely life. Come join me next week where I have another brilliant guest. I mean, they're just wall-to-wall bangers at the moment. They really are. Next week's a smasher. You're going to love it as well. I hope everyone is well. So that is it for now. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime... Have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.